our stories, you know, have more hard things than we wish. Um, we can trust God and his His loving kindness and steadfast love and, and promises to us throughout this life. But then um, he promises that one day he will wipe away every tear from, from our eyes. Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or watching this episode on YouTube, would you take just a minute to go and give us a rating and a review? Ratings and reviews really do add up, and they help new listeners to find the show. Thank you so much. And lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes, which are always full of resources like articles or other podcasts and books. You'll find a link to my bookstore created in partnership with 10 of those where you'll see the books recommended on today's episode. My 10 of those store always has discount prices and $1 shipping. Welcome to all things, everybody. I am thrilled today to be joined by a friend and a co-laborer in Christ, Chelsea Patterson Sobolik on today's episode of All Things. So Mother's Day is coming this Sunday. And for anyone who's paying attention, you know that Mother's Day can be a hard day for many for a variety of reasons. Having been in ministry for a long time now, I can say that every year I encounter a new friend or a new church attendee or maybe a reader who comes to Mother's Day with some grief and some sorrow. But of course, that's not the whole story. So many of us come to the day with joy and celebration too. It's a complicated weekend. Um, It's a day. Mother's Day is just a reminder that grief and joy so often coexist. You and I and everybody listening can feel both of these things at the same time, but it feels like in general, we don't do a great job of walking through both, at least publicly or in a way where other people can really resonate. And so I wanted to invite Chelsea to join me on this episode because she is someone that I have observed doing this so well, holding both grief and joy in one hand at the same time. She thinks and writes and speaks deeply about issues that are relating to motherhood and so much more. So Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you for having me, Jen. Okay, so professionally speaking, Chelsea, she is the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy for Lifeline Children's Services. That means she advocates for policies that ensure every child has access to a safe, permanent, and loving home. Love that. Chelsea, want to hear more about that. Um, And her first book, which has been out now for a few years, is entitled Longing for Motherhood, Holding on to Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. And then, of course, Chelsea has another book that will be released this fall. So she'll have to come back to all things and talk to us about that. It's going to be about women and work and calling. But personally speaking, Chelsea, I wanted to ask you if you would introduce yourself, if you would share with the listeners just a few more details about your life and how God has especially equipped you. You know, you are so helpful in this conversation as we orient our hearts and our minds to this coming weekend where we focus on motherhood. So tell everybody a little bit more about who you are. Well, Jen, um, thank you so much again for having me and for having this conversation. I think it's it's so important. And like you said, Mother's Day can be hard for, for many different people um, in many different circumstances. So I, I really appreciate you being willing to have this conversation. But a little bit about me and kind of 
why I wrote the book I did and why I talk about the things I do publicly, um, there's kind of two two parts that interweave um, in in my story. Um, the first uh, goes goes back years and years, but I was adopted internationally and grew up with uh, five adopted siblings internationally. Um, I was born in Eastern Europe, as were all of my siblings. Um, so I grew up in a family um, where adoption was very normal for us and had a big heart for vulnerable children and for adoption, um, even before I found out that I couldn't have children. So that was a part of my my story and my personal experience. And then my experience with uh, childlessness and infertility is actually a little bit unique um, because most most people, when they walk through childlessness, whether it's um, infertility, being unable to conceive or walking through miscarriage, um, do so in the, the context of marriage. But I was actually um, a freshman in college when I found out that I was born with a somewhat rare medical condition that prevents me from having children. And as you can imagine, um, I, I'd grown up in a Christian home and had considered myself a, a Christian. I prayed the prayer of salvation as a young child and believed as best as I could as a, a child. But this was my first real personal encounter with suffering, but it also really caused me to examine um, what womanhood meant in light of being born with a broken body and being unable to conceive natural children. Um, and so as a at the ripe old age of 19, I really began to wrestle through not only what it meant to walk with God through through suffering and loss, but also what did it actually mean to be um, an image bearer and a woman in light of of the fall. So, um, the the book I wrote was the book I I wish I had at that time. Mm. Um, I've been a reader for my whole life, and um, after I walked out of the the doors of the doctor's office, I went into the local Barnes and Noble and thought, I'll just read my way through this crisis. And, um, there, there weren't very many at the time. There's, there's been so many more books written over the years, which I'm so thankful for each and every one. But at the time, there weren't many books on childlessness. And I've actually used that term, tried to use that term very intentionally because it mm-hmm. is kind of the umbrella term that I fit under, uh, certainly women and men who walk through infertility and miscarriage, but it also captures single women who desperately want to be a mom and aren't married. Um, Women who have made adoption plans for their children and are childless because of that decision they've made. And then women who have had abortions and don't have their children because of uh, that as well. So I've really tried to to cast a wide net, Um, but of course within that, um, Mother's Day is hard for all of those people in that category, as well as um, women and men whose mom may have passed away, who may have had, might have a strained relationship with their mom. Um, I mean, there's so many, so many ways that that Mother's Day can be hard for for people. Um, but on the other hand, wanting to rightly celebrate. Um, those that God calls into the role of motherhood and the moms in our lives and in our church communities. So, so like you said, Jen, at the beginning, holding those th- two things in tension and being able to joyfully celebrate while also um, grieving with those that grieve. Yes. I really appreciate your 
comment that you have intentionally used the word childlessness and how that captures so many different kinds of people who are childless for so many different reasons. And it also strikes me, Chelsea, that you say you went through this process, you know, at the age of 19 of really having then to wrestle with what is womanhood Mm -hmm. and how am I a woman or what does it mean to identify as a woman who is childless? Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? I mean, how, what were maybe the things that you had absorbed growing up unknowingly in our Western context, where perhaps you had integrated the idea of being a woman with having children, and then those those two things were separated for you? I just would, that is so intriguing to me. Um, would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. And Jen, I've actually appreciated your voice on this. Um, I know you talked about this in your, your latest book, which... I was just amening all the way through, but I think growing up in the church setting I was in, I so often heard a woman's highest calling is to be a wife and mom. And again, those are good God-ordained roles. Um, And I want to rightly celebrate those that God calls into that. But the reality is God does not call every woman into those roles and the woman, the women who are single or unable to conceive um, matter just as much in the kingdom of, of God. And I think when we talk about it as this is a woman's highest calling, um, it, it almost makes two tiers of womanhood. And that is, I don't see that anywhere in, in scripture. Um, what we see in scripture, the opening pages of Genesis, we see that um, how God designed men and women um, in his very own image um, to cultivate, um, to, to be fruitful and multiply and cultivate the earth and, and to, create, um, to create culture and, and to, to you know, obey God in that. But then Genesis 3, sin enters the world and impacts everything, including our bodies. And so, you know, I don't have all the answers for um, why my body is the way it is. Um, But I also have read the end of the story and I know that um, Mm. my broken body is not all that it's ever going to be as well. Mm. And so I think as I was really wrestling um, and it's, it's easy is not the right word. I can talk about it now, you know, um, a dozen years later Mm. um, and be able to, to, have these reflections, but this was not a short, you know, it wasn't a week later at all, had it all figured out. But I think one of the things that um, I'm so grateful for and so grateful, I'm obviously borrowing on the work of so many before me, but both in the Old Testament and in the New, seeing how, how women are valued in the kingdom of God. And um, it's not because of anything we do, although God calls us into good works. It's because we simply bear his image. And so whether, you know, a woman is born with a disability or, um, or, or whatever our stories might be, we are valuable in God's eyes, um, because, because we bear his image and, um, and that's a beautiful thing. And, mm. um, I know you've talked about this on your podcast, but we're living in a moment where even the question of what is a woman is confusing to our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Christians, we get to to show the beauty of womanhood in a very holistic way. 
um, that doesn't look like this or you know doesn't put us into these these boxes but says you know that that single woman who's in her 50s faithfully serving her community is a beautiful picture and representation of of womanhood and motherhood um and i'm i'm forgetting which c.s lewis book since and maybe you can, you can jump in but there's um there's this uh picture of she's a single woman and all these children are falling uh, behind her, um, and you know she's a spiritual mother to all these all these other people, and I think that's such a beautiful picture. So um, that was a very long answer to a short question, but those are some of the things that over the years I've really wrestled out and seen um, that that you know while while my body isn't how I wish it was, um, I'm still made in God's image, and and for the the men and women listening who might struggle to conceive or have lost child after child through miscarriage um to to remember that um you're still made in god's image and god is present in in the midst of those struggles and he um he still loves us in the midst of of sorrow and suffering i think you know you're saying sorry for going on but i feel like we could talk about this for another several hours Because so I think much. we do, we live in a moment where we really do equate what we do with who we are mm-hmm. or what we've produced, whether that's our work or our offspring, you know, what we have to show mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. ourselves. And so anytime we have to press pause and reflect on what it really means to have dignity and worth and value, um, those are just things that we aren't really being discipled in. And even those of us who are in the church and very intentional about coming back to our understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. Nonetheless, we're immersed all day, every day in the opposite message that you're only as good as what you do or what you bring to the table. And so I just really appreciate that. And I also think it's so helpful and nuanced and thoughtful that you are including everybody from biological moms who've made an adoption plan for their Mm -hmm. child to moms who have chosen abortion to moms who have suffered infertility or loss or, you know, whatever this, this umbrella is big and there's room for Mm -hmm. all kinds of women underneath it. And so I just appreciate your generosity in this conversation because I think that that's missing so often. Yeah. So I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you you go first, Chelsea. I was just going to say, I think, especially for, um, and obviously child welfare and adoption is very close to my heart but I think especially recognizing for for women who have made adoption plans um the loss and the grief that's involved there and um you know open adoption is is much more common than it used to be but there's still a loss um because of a decision that they've made and and I really want to include those those women in in that conversation as well yeah that's so good Can you help us, you know, think about going into this weekend? We've brought up all these categories of women and moms or those who are childless want to be moms. I mean, so you've been, you've been careful to really point out so many populations, which is so helpful, but also that can feel overwhelming. You know, sometimes when I approach Mother's Day as a leader in my church, I feel paralyzed with how to acknowledge everyone in the room, you know, not wanting to not mention Mother's Day, because that Mm -hmm. feels, I don't know, that doesn't feel quite right. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, to do maybe what's more traditional of of only celebrating 
you know, the obvious moms in the room also doesn't feel right. And so I've done a variety of different things over the years, but talk to us as church attendees and just neighborhood, you know, dwellers and friends and family. How do we approach this coming Sunday with a good balance? There's not one size fits all answer. I think, I mean, you know, your local community, um, which might be different than someone living in the heart of Texas, you know, you, you, you all know your communities. Um, And I think there's such a beautiful thing because it really is indicative of the Christian life of being able to, to celebrate and carry the sorrow at the same Mm. time and being able to acknowledge that and have that conversation, whether it's, um, you know, one of my favorite things um, is how pastors handle um, the prayers on Sunday and the things that they pray for. Um, I think you can do so much through through a pastoral prayer and celebrate and and grieve. Um, I think that's such a beautiful thing. And then you're actually praying for for your congregate members and those in the congregation who are celebrating and and suffering. Um, and then I I think too making space for for both to coexist. And again, that can feel so nebulous and and broad, but, um, you know, whether that's just a a simple acknowledgement that today is, is hard and joyful. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, Jesus meets us in both moments. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, for, for pastors or, you know, sisters in Christ or, or whoever is listening and wanting to carefully think through these things, you know, I would say, carefully consider about who you're going to interact with. I know um, many women actually choose not to go to church on Sunday because it's, it's too painful. And, um, you know, there's a part of me that's, that understands that I've, I've stayed home some, some Mother's Day Sundays, but also um, we're the body of Christ and we're meant to, to bear one another's burdens. And so, um, you know, figuring out a way to tenderly love and care those for whom it might be a really hard day, but also uh, joyfully celebrate. And again, that's holding so much intention. Um, but I think uh, being mindful and prayerful about it goes such such a long way. Mm. Yeah, you make a really good point. I mean, I think it starts with us just humbling ourselves in prayer about it and just saying, Lord, mm-hmm. show me how I might minister well to this community that you've given me. I think a lot of times I rush to like, well, what's the right thing to do? But actually, me too. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. It's just first pray mm-hmm. um, with my community in mind. And then, you know, another great point that you make that I think applies to so many situations is we don't have to say it all or acknowledge it all, but just acknowledging the reality mm-hmm. that there's joy and grief on this day. And just saying that publicly, I think does go a long way as well. So I appreciate that insight so much. Um, Chelsea, this might feel maybe sort of obvious, but I would imagine there's people listening who haven't thought this through and would appreciate some insight. You yourself are an adoptee and you yourself are pursuing an adoption along with your husband. Can you speak to that element this weekend to the adoptee in the room, the adoptive parent in the room, the biological mom in the room? Again, like I said, it might seem obvious, but how can we honor adoption stories in our midst on Mother's Day? Why might Mother's Day be particularly difficult or particularly joyful for any of those parties involved? Oh, I love this question. Um, I think it's so important to always remember and acknowledge that adoption always begins with loss. And 
I'm adopted, like you said, my husband and I are pursuing adoption, and I really firmly do believe adoption adoption can be a redemptive option, but it's always born out of loss. Um, you know, whether that is a birth mom giving the most precious thing she has to someone else, that's such a an act of love uh, for her child, but she's losing her child. Um, and then for an adoptee, um, even children who are adopted at birth, there's a break in their their natural family. And, you know, as modern medicine and, and psychology has gotten better and better, we understand um, pre-verbal trauma and children who, um, who remember their mom in their womb even years later after they're separated from her. And so I think there's that loss that an adoptee might carry. And then for uh, for adoptive parents, they uh, not always, but um, many times enter into adoption because they've experienced uh, infertility. Um, and so adoptive parents are, are navigating their own uh, their own loss in that that way. Um, but saying that, it's also such a beautifully redemptive option. And that doesn't mean there's not trauma and hard things um, in there, but it is such a beautiful um beautiful earthly display of what we have in in Christ. And it's been really interesting. My uh, now husband, Michael, when because of my story, when we were dating, he knew if he married me that the only way we would build our family would be through adoption. And I obviously had a very personal experience. And so in many ways, I was at a very different place than he was with, with processing, building our family through adoption. And um, we, he really wrestled through, what is this going to look like? Am I called to this? All of those, all of those types of questions. And I remember he came to me one day. We were still dating, but he came to me and he said, "Chelsea, I've really been processing and praying, and come to to realize that you know, being a father is not does not mean I'm raising a child to look like me or who looks like me." It's raising a child who looks like the heart of Christ. And um, I think that's such a beautiful reminder for all of us that, um, you know, we're not raising cop and garbies of ourselves, but raising people we want to, raising little disciples and raising people to look like Christ. And that doesn't mean that success rights on our shoulders. Um, you know, everything's in God's hands. But um, I, I think why to the mother's day could be hard and joyful is 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 adoption itself is both i mean many days joyful and sorrowful all in the same hour it feels like um and it's one of those those lifelong things where both coexist yeah your husband's answer or reply to you when you guys were dating. Um, I love that because it points to something where I do think we fall short so often. And that is that the family of Christ is just that it's family. Mm -hmm. And we so often sequester ourselves into our four walls mm -hmm. um, and in our home. And we just really lean in on our nuclear family mm -hmm. and we don't consider opening wide our doors and making space for others and, and consider bringing in those who are perhaps not married or just enveloping other families inside our four walls and just really seeking to live life with our siblings in Christ. Somehow mm -hmm. we have, you know, it's in our American DNA, I think, to be these strong, independent, 
isolated families who don't really mesh with others. And so his insight, I think, is really valuable. Um, how many moms do we each have? Several, I think. Yes. How many children do yes. we each have? I think a lot, you know, like that's the goal that I would have an abundance of sisters and brothers and moms and dads and children. Um, and that, I think that's one way we can influence our churches. We can re mm -hmm. rehearse the truth ourselves is that our family is meant to be enormous and diverse, not just the four individuals or five or whatever inside our four walls. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that insight from him. That's so good. Let me ask you this question, Chelsea. It's, it's one of the heavier ones that I was hoping we might be able to talk about. I've heard you say that it's difficult to reconcile some of our tremendous losses, the things that you personally have lost with a loving God. So how do you personally do that? What does it look like for you to renew your mind to the truth and to walk in the truth when you're weighing your losses with a loving God? Oh, that's a million dollar question, yeah. isn't it? I, I think for, for me, one of the, the hardest things to kind of put into words for the longest time was grieving this loss of what could have been and the loss of, of what I thought life was going to look like. I didn't have this, I didn't have this thing to point to that I lost this mm -hmm. kind of physical thing, but I was, I was grieving what, what was going to be and, and what I expected out of life. And during that, that season, um, when I really, I mean, I really sat back and examined Christianity in light of my suffering. And I read the Gospels um, again, and I, I really read them through the lens of, of life didn't look like I thought it was going to. And at that time, I was single and didn't know if any man would want to marry me because I could, couldn't produce physical offspring. And really wrestled with those those really big types of questions. And as I was reading through the gospels in light of that, um, I saw two things that I, I just had never seen before. And that number one, so often throughout the gospels, we see um, Jesus being close to the brokenhearted and um, those who are suffering and he weeps. And I love the story of Lazarus where he um, he comes and he weeps with with um, Mary and um, sits with them in their grief. And there's so many times where we see his tender heart towards those who are suffering. Um, but then later in, in the Gospels, God tells us that in this world, we're going to have trial and tribulation. And to be a Christian is to take up our cross and to, to follow him. So... I mean, on the one hand, it shouldn't surprise us when we encounter suffering. And it's still, I mean, even to this day, I'm still frustrated and surprised when I, and it shouldn't, um, but it still does because we're, we're humans um, wanting to follow and honor God. But um, I think if I'm honest, I still get frustrated of, oh, I want so, so desperately to have a heart after Christ and to follow him, but um, but this is hard. Mm. Um, and so I think kind of reorienting our perspective of Jesus told us what it was going to be like to follow him. And that's yeah. going to be walking through a sinful, hard world where we interact with broken people 
um, we are living in a sinful and broken world, um, that it's going to be hard. And, you know, again, reorienting our expectations. And then the thing that has, I, I think, I don't have answers for all the things. And I think so much of faith um, is trusting God's character and his promises, um, even when we don't have the answers. Um, we know who he is, and that allows us to be able to trust when we when we don't understand. We know who God's character is, and that really helps. But the the last thing I think that has really helped helped me grapple with um, whether it's we we're talking before we hit record. We're in we've been in the adoption process since 2020, a very long process. Or um, this is another conversation for another time. But I've I've lost my job before, and and just many different sufferings in, in this world. But um, Revelation 21 is one of my favorite passages in scripture because that's the end of our story as Christians. And we we know how our story ends. And so, um, you know, if our stories, you know, have more hard things than we wish, um, we can trust God and his his loving kindness and steadfast love and and promises to us throughout this life. But then um, he promises that one day he will wipe away every tear from, from our eyes. And I just love that. I love that um, Jesus mourned when he was here embodied as, as fully man, fully God. He's in us now. He, he has the spirit in us um, to, to, pray for us when we don't know what to pray for and and that there is a day coming when he will wipe away those tears and uh, to me lifting my gaze to to heaven and and not that that doesn't mean the things on earth aren't hard or don't matter they that actually makes them matter even more um Mm -hmm. what we do here on earth but that promise that not only does god make all these promises to, to us here on earth that we have that day coming it that to me, and I, I read Revelation 21 almost weekly, <laughs> just to remind myself of that. Um, but I think that's really helpful for me. And again, that doesn't mean that, that we'll always have answers for why hard things happen. Um, but but as Christians, we know the filters and the lenses through which we, we view them. That is huge. And Chelsea, I normally ask my guests to close us out, you know, with a parting gospel word, but you've already done that. <laughs> I love, I love that naturally you just went there and you, you wrapped up this conversation by reminding us that Jesus is acquainted with suffering and that he weeps with us and that the spirit is in us to help us. And I love that you read Revelation 21 almost weekly. I think that would probably be a really awesome practice for all of us to just reorient ourselves mm-hmm. to this timeline of eternity that we're on and that in this life, we will have trouble, but Jesus mm-hmm. will help. And there's a day coming when everything will be healed and all will be made right. And that is a promise that the Lord will keep to us as he's kept so many others. Do you have any parting words? I certainly don't want to cut you off because this has been a rich and needed conversation, but any parting words as we head out from here to Mother's Day weekend? You know, I would just say for for people who, you know, might be dreading Mother's Day because it is hard, and then for also for people who want to love uh, their their sisters well, um, 
you know, we've talked so much about the, the joy and the tension, but I would say for both groups, um, may we remember that God uh, sees us in, in those, whether we're, we're mourning or we're, we're celebrating, that God sees us. Uh, he is so, so very present um, with us. And one of my favorite things, I've talked about this publicly, is to trace God's steadfast love to his children throughout throughout scripture. Um, and so I, I, I pray, um, pray that, that people listening would just remember and uh, remember to talk about God's, God's steadfast love to ourselves and to each other and, and to the world. Um, I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful promise to, to remind ourselves that we are so, so very loved. And so I think my, my parting word would be um, just remember uh, who we are in, in in God's family, um, and what that means is all the the rights and the benefits that come with with being His children. That is so good. Whether it's joy or sorrow, we are members of God's family, and He holds us close. Chelsea, thank you so much. Where can listeners keep up with you? Where's a good place for them to get in touch with you and see what you're writing and see how your adoption process is going? Where should they find you? I enjoy Instagram the most. So it's Chelsea Soblick. And then my uh, website is chelseapattersonsoblick.com. Okay. Well, I will definitely be linking that in the show notes as well as your book, Longing for Motherhood. Chelsea, thank you for sharing your time and your heart with us at All Things. Thanks again for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All Things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.